Welcome to the ASHP Advantage Podcast, engaging the experts on ASHP Official, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners about the latest issues in pharmacy and healthcare. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Christy Hofer, and I will be your host today. I am ASHP's Senior Director of Scientific Projects and Educational Programs. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Jamie McConaughey and Dr. Monica Dougherty about questions that pharmacists receive when managing alopecia areata patients. Dr. McConaughey is an Associate Professor of Pharmacy at Duquesne University School of Pharmacy in Pittsburgh, and Dr. Dougherty is Clinical Pharmacy Specialist at the University of Rochester Medical Center in New York. They are both faculty for an educational initiative entitled Jack Inhibitors and the Changing Landscape for Atopic Dermatitis and Alopecia Areata Management. The educational initiative is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated. This podcast is for informational purposes and not approved for a continuing education credit. Thanks for joining us today and let's get started. Jamie. Could you remind our listeners about how alopecia is typically diagnosed and what are some of its hallmarks? Absolutely. So alopecia areata, which is hair loss or baldness, is typically diagnosed simply by examination. So specifically, the physician will look at the areas of hair loss. They may closely investigate the hair follicle itself using a magnifying glass, but the diagnosis is pretty simple. It's just, again, an observation of the patient as well as a thorough patient history. So as a reminder of what they're looking for uh, when they're examining the patient, alopecia areata presents as areas of sudden hair loss, and it can occur anywhere on the body where there's hair. So that can include the scalp, the face, and even other parts of the body. And these areas of hair loss can present as a single area or even conjoined areas of baldness, again, anywhere that hair grows. When we hear the term alopecia areata, we think of the most common presentation, which is hair loss on the scalp. So again, it can be a single patch of hair loss, or it can be multiple that sort of morph and join together to form a larger bald spot. But there's also alopecia totalis, where all or the majority of the hair on the scalp is lost. And then a more rare form is alopecia universalis, which is a complete loss of hair on the entire body. And something that in more sort of pop culture that you may think of, you know, more recently when you hear alopecia areata. Um, at last year's Oscars was how this disease state was really brought to light with Jada Pinkett Smith. So at the Oscars, sort of the, the slap heard around the world, if you will, he, Chris Rock made a joke about her short hairstyle. Um, and then it really came out that she suffers from this disease state. And she since then has been talking about the difficulties of having alopecia, the sudden hair loss that goes along with it. And she unfortunately is one of the patients that is experiencing exacerbations of this. So some patients will have the hair loss occur once and the hair does eventually grow back, usually after several months on average, about 12 months or a year. But many, many patients will have this recur and have additional episodes of that hair loss, which again is something that she has experienced throughout her lifetime. So again, just something sort of in pop culture that we've heard about, and I think maybe brought the disease state a little bit more to the general public. 
It sure did. Hopefully that will help bring attention and understanding for these patients. Monica, how have you seen the treatment of alopecia areata change over the last few years? Yeah, so overall, there's really limited treatment options for alopecia areata patients. And up until recently, there were not even any medications FDA approved and few treatments had even been evaluated by randomized controlled trials. So for patients with more severe scalp hair loss, so typically thinking over 50% scalp hair loss, the options that they had include topical immunotherapy, which involves applying chemicals that essentially cause an allergic rash and then alters the immune response on the scalp that can then lead to hair regrowth. This is done weekly at dermatology offices, so it can be really time-consuming and not so convenient for patients. Additionally, topical corticosteroids, topical anthralin, and topical minoxidil have all been used, um, but the evidence really isn't the strongest for these medications. And really, you know, not that convenient since they're all topical medications and have to be applied um, at least daily to the affected areas. Um, otherwise, patients were prescribed broad immunosuppressants such as oral corticosteroids and methotrexate. But of course, these medications come with their own host of side effects and concerns with patients. So more recently, over the last five years or so, Janus kinase inhibitors have really been looked at for treatment, and there's been many lower quality studies initially in the literature looking at this. So for a long time, tofacidinib was actually used off-label or at least tried to be used off-label. It was always really hard for insurance to approve this given the off-label status and lack of randomized controlled trials. But now more recently, we have baricidinib, which is the first FDA-approved medication for severe um, alopecia areata. And we have two phase three randomized controlled trials assessing its safety and efficacy. So this is something that patients just didn't have in the past. So this was really big news when this got approved last year. This medication has shown to be very effective in our more severe alopecia areata patients, um, so the treatment options are certainly expanding. That's good news for these patients. Jamie, given the evidence that we have for the use of JAK inhibitors for the treatment of alopecia areata, is there any utility in trying topical rexolitinib for treatment? So there is increasing evidence that JAK inhibitors are effective in the treatment of alopecia areata. So just as Monica talked about a second ago, um, baricidinib has our FDA approval now for the treatment of alopecia areata since June of last year. And as she said, it's the first medication to receive that approval. And you may recall from previous presentations where we talked about its mechanism of action, that it works to inhibit JAK1 and JAK2, interrupting that cytokine signaling and preventing the phosphorylation and activation of STATs, which then in turn stops gene transcription of inflammatory mediators. So this modulates the signaling pathway of interleukins, interferons, and growth factors. And the reason I bring that up is prior to baricitinib's approval, JAK inhibitors were being used or attempted to be used off-label. And there is some lower quality evidence for some of the JAK inhibitors. So looking at ruxolitinib, which was, I know, your specific question, there's only about two trials out there. They're both open-label studies, and they have small numbers of participants, so less than 50 50 patients in these trials. The studies showed anywhere from 69 to 94% change 
in the, what they were looking at was called the SALT score. However, it was not powered enough to show statistical significance. So at this current stage, there's not, unfortunately, any strong evidence um, for using rexalitinib for alopecia areata, although, you know, additional studies are always warranted. What about patients who are pregnant or lactating who have alopecia areata? Is there any information about how to manage these patients? Yes. So a difficult question for sure. There unfortunately is not a lot that we can do because in terms of approved uh, medications, because we only have right now baricitinib. And while it's not known for sure, um, placental transfer of this baricitinib can be expected, um, as we said earlier, based on its molecular weight. And so the recommendation for the use of this medication in pregnant patients really, we don't have enough data to really make that recommendation. So it's weighing the risk benefit if it's worth it to use while the patient is pregnant or if we can wait until after delivery of the baby. There are data collection sites that are used to monitor maternal and infant outcomes following exposure to baricitinib, and these are ongoing. So if a patient was exposed to baricitinib during pregnancy, they're encouraged to notify the manufacturer. Again, just to really help sort of build that database of what we know about this medication. With regards to lactation, um, it's not known if baricitinib is present in breast milk, but due to the risk of serious adverse events in the infant, breastfeeding is not recommended by the manufacturer during therapy or for at least four days after the last dose of baricitinib. We've mentioned in our um, atopic dermatitis podcast, the mother to baby registry, which has information on many of these biologic medications. And so you can find information on this and other meds there. Again, if you wanted sort of patient-friendly handouts or more detailed healthcare provider information. And so since that is really our only FDA approved medication, that's the one I wanted to focus on. But if you look at our other treatment options for alopecia areata, they are, um, again, not things that we would really want to be using in patients who are pregnant or lactating. So these are going to include things like corticosteroids um, and some of the other treatments that Monica had just gone over. So for that reason, really what we're left with is trying to use non-pharmacologic options during pregnancy. So even though it's not ideal explaining to the patient that, you know, pregnancy is not something that lasts forever. Um, so during those months um, while they're still carrying the baby, trying to utilize as many non-farm things as we can, if they're self-conscious or experiencing significant hair loss on the scalp, things like wigs, hair pieces, um, things like that can be utilized, but most of the medications at this point are not recommended. Monica, are there any medications in the pipeline for this condition? Yeah, so there's several drugs in both the phase two and phase three part of the pipeline for alopecia areata, mostly comprised of oral JAK inhibitors. For the most part thus far, these medications are looking at our more severe alopecia areata population, so those with at least 50% scalp hair loss. Um, there seems to be less out there for more mild to moderate alopecia. Um, a medication called ritlacidinib, which is an oral JAK3 inhibitor, um, is expected to undergo an FDA decision in the sec in yeah the second quarter of 2023, so possibly soon. There's been two phase three trials evaluating this medicine in adults and adolescents 12 years and older with alopecia areata. Again, looking at that 50% or greater scalp hair loss, and these trials have had good results. 
So with this um, medication approval possibly looming, um, this would give us another option for um, patients, but also would give this medicine a bit of an edge over baricitinib, um, given it's looking at patients 12 years and older, which baricitinib is only approved for 18 years and above. Another medication that's in phase three development is duroruxlitinib, which is another JAK1 and 2 inhibitor. It's expected to possibly have an approval decision in the first half of 2024, so really not until next year. This one is dosed twice daily, so that might be a downside of it compared to baricitinib, which is just once daily, and then um, ritlacitinib, if that gets approved, that'll be once daily as well. And then we have Ivarmacidinib, which is a selective JAK1 inhibitor. Um, it's expected to have an FDA approval decision in 2025. So there's several medications that we're kind of looking forward to getting approved in the next couple of years. There are a few other medications as well. They're really still in phase two trials, but hopefully in, in future years, these will be approved and you know they might be uh, having another mechanism of action. Um, so this would, you know, give even more options to patients. Additionally, with each new approval, it's just bringing, I guess, alopecia patients are getting, you know, more um, press and there might be commercials for these medications. So this might have um, or cause patients with alopecia to seek care, knowing that there are treatments now to help treat their disease. So it's kind of another benefit of having all of these medications in the pipeline, um, hopefully getting approved in the near future. Well, thank you. I'd like to thank both you and Dr. McConaughey for joining us today. And thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in to this session of Pharmacy Hot Topics. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast, Engaging the Experts. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time for more expert perspectives on ASHP Official.